Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Horticulture Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Wildflower Turf founder James Hewitson Brown. Now Wildflower Turf was founded in 2003 and has developed a soilless growing system that has transformed the concept of turf growing. So welcome James. Well thanks very much for having me Matthew. Good to be here. Brilliant. Now let's start at the beginning. There are a number of ways to establish wildflowers, but how do people know what's the best solution for them? That is a very good question. And I suppose it boils down to your level of expectation, the amount of time you've got, the amount of money you've got to establish it. And uh, really, you know, ultimately what the objective is in terms of the colour palette or whether you're uh, looking for native plants or non-natives or annuals. There's quite a lot to kind of think about and um, it is one of the questions we're sort of asked all of the time and it's definitely worth if there's one thing that uh, we would always say is that a wildflower patch is not the sort of thing that you just do off the cusp you need to think about it and plan it so that's the first stage. What's the point about seed versus turf how do you weigh that one up? I suppose that comes back to part of what I've just said the timing so with if you're introducing seed that is a perfectly sensible way of trying to establish a wildflower meadow. But what you're opening yourself up to by using seed is, is many more vagaries of establishment and quality of seed and things. And it's a much longer process that's likely to take a few years uh, compared to turf, which is you know a really instant fix effectively. The way I kind of think about it, if you looked at it on a graph, once you've laid your turf, you actually have a meadow from the day it's down because as a wildflower turf, you've got mature plants that are uh, already established. When you sow seed, you've uh, thrown some seed on some soil and uh, that's really day one of a process that's going to take a few years, depending on which type of seed you've gone, to achieve that meadow. 
and you have to think about all the vagaries in the middle of that process, which uh, is weather, soil type, pests and diseases. There's a sort of quality of the seed is a big issue. We, we know that. For, I can tell you stories about seed we bought that's cost a lot of money and we've analysed it and found it's got very, very little germination, if any. So there are things out there that m- can make that uh, seed sowing process uh, really quite tricky. Now, drilling down a bit deeper, we all know that wildflowers can help boost species diversities in our green spaces. But what other functions um, can they help deliver, do you think? There are a whole range and it's dependent on uh, what part of the sort of landscape industry you're in. Uh, If you're looking at this for your garden, I think it's fair to say that people are thinking about um, what it's going to look like. And, you know, it varies like any plant through the 12 months of the year, but that's a, a major consideration. But if you're a landscape professional, and this goes back to that previous question to an extent, Uh, You want to have something that's going to work, that's going to be reliable and risk-free because as a landscape professional, you're answerable to a customer. And this ability to have a reliable solution is one that's always worried landscape professionals. And that's why we started doing training and all uh, CPD uh, for people so that they can start to understand all the things that we'll probably cover going forward. But the thing is that they were finding that they were asked to sow more and more wildflower meadows and out of all of the things that they did in a garden, they had, um, you know, they had the lawn to do and they used turf. They had a wall to build, patio to put in, hedges to put in. All of those things were done as they left the site. There was a decent amount of establishment and the customer was happy. But a wildflower meadow sown is a patch of soil with seeds on. So having a solution that did away with all that was one of the reasons that they have really enjoyed the product and found it a very useful addition in their sort of arsenal of delivering customer um, solutions. And then if you extend that out to uh, the need for biodiversity, uh, the need for um, uh, all sorts of habitats that we'll talk about later, I expect, you can look at some of the direct opportunities there are with them. So biodiversity net gain as a landscape professional, if, if you're in the sort of planning area, uh, that wildflowers will definitely help deliver that. Um, if you look at sustainable drainage systems, they can really help with that for all sorts of reasons from uh, technical ones like root penetration and percolation uh, through to uh, slowing up exceedance flows with water. So these things, and there are many more, you know, green roofs, uh, there are many things where wildflowers can help. There's a big emphasis on planting trees at the moment, but is, can you plant wildflowers instead of trees? Do they do just as good? I mean, well, how, how would you weigh that one up? That is an excellent question, and it's one of my kind of uh, things that I'm quite happy to, to talk about for lots and lots of reasons. And the danger I have when I start talking about this is I, there's a danger that I, I sort of move into actually trees really aren't that great. So I will, I will start by saying trees definitely have a part to play. Of course they do. And they have lots of advantages in some ways because they're very measurable. You can measure canopy um, cover and that type of thing. So that's why they've been... And they're very physical. You know, you plant a tree and it's done. So I can see how they're very popular. But wildflowers are this sort of unsung hero. And what the advantage they have is that one of them 
which is a big one in my opinion, is they're instant. You know, you can get a decent meadow, uh, however you establish it, in a few years. Whereas if you think about a tree, yes, it's planted, but before it's really contributing, it's got to be, you know, reasonably mature. And what are you talking about there? Sort of 15 years, really. Um, so that's one thing, speed, speed of establishment. And, you know, if you go back to what we said at the start, you put turf down, wildflower turf down, that is from day one, it's biodiverse, it's contributing to carbon sequestration and all the things it can do uh, from day one. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing that I think with wildflowers is you're talking about a range of species. So uh, you know, in some of our products, there's 30 or 40 species of wildflowers. And while they don't necessarily all grow, a good proportion do. And actually, given a little bit of time, most of them do. The thing with trees is you're limited to the number of species you can put in from a biodiversity point of view. And also, I would argue, you know, you've only got to look at some of the issues that trees are having at the moment, like ash dieback and uh, I don't even know how you say it, but Xylella fastidiosa, I think, is, is on, looming on the horizon. Phytophoras as well. Yes. And the thing with the number of species is, it's not to say that some of those species won't suffer from something, whether it's a disease or a, you know, a bug or a pest. But you've got so, it's like a really good insurance because you've got so many species in there. So it's very, very unlikely that the whole lot is suddenly going to die out. And providing you look after it and manage it a little bit, then you have this solution that's A, quick, and B, reliable and long-term. Now, people talk about trees supporting a lot of wildlife, like oaks support thousands of species, but native perennials also support a lot of wildlife. So why are native perennials so important to our wildlife in the UK? From my point of view, I think, you know, why wouldn't you use native perennials? But that's not to say they're the only solution. So, But it's understanding what you're buying into is the most important thing. So we've seen lots of councils using a lot of annual wildflowers on some of the roundabouts and things. There's nothing wrong with that. High impact, so I describe it as bling. It's like the full-on colour option. And it's great. However... People need to know what they're, what they're sort of uh, getting themselves into with that because annuals are colourful, but by their nature, they're a plant every year thing. You know, you have to sow and plant every year. So providing you've got the resources to do that re-establishment each year, then that's fine. But with perennials, you've got this long-term solution. So there's a, there's a little bit of maintenance, but it's, the plants are established there year on year on year. So that's one aspect. It opens up the option of, you know, what you're planting and, and native perennials, I think, are very good because they're extremely tried and tested in this country. You know, they've been around forever. When you start introducing uh, non-native plants, then there is, in my opinion, and in our experience, there's a bit of a question mark over them for their longevity. Because we, we think all of these Plants have a part to play, don't get me wrong. The more you can do for biodiversity and whatever plants you're putting in, that is what we're all aiming towards, and that applies to trees as well. But from our experience with some of the non-native colours that are going in, they do have a bit of a limited time scale. mentioned um, the longevity there and uh, the maintenance as well but I guess they go in hand hand in hand so what is the maintenance regime to maintain that longevity? On the face of it the simple maintenance is cut 
uh, and uh, remove because you want to take out a level of fertility. We've had some really good customer feedback of uh, newly established wildflower turf areas where for the first year, those wildflowers on relatively fertile soil were a bit thuggish and a bit sort of um, there was robust growth. And when it came to that autumn cut, there was quite a lot of material to cut. So at that point, we've looked into, and maybe we touch on it later, but our R&D, we've got some really useful R&D trials up on our on our site here, which has a range of native perennials that are either zero cut, and we've got that's about six or seven years old now, ranging through to a, a two cut regime but with either cuttings removed and or without cuttings removed. And all of these things are quite subtle, but they do have certain uh, circumstances that they suit. And that might be what the customer is prepared to do in terms of machinery and resources, or it might be their soil type and all that sort of thing. So, so that um, maintenance regime on the face of it is cut and remove, but it actually starts with how that site is designed. You need to think about all of those sort of things. Have you got access to, for the machine to go in and cut? What machine might you use? How are you going to design the shape of your meadow to, to ensure that it looks like it's supposed to be there, but that it's easy to do that maintenance? So there's quite a few uh, things that are worth thinking about. On the face of it, it's pretty simple. And compared to mowing a lawn each week, you know, you're talking about one or two cuts a year. That's good to hear that it's pretty simple. Now, what isn't simple is regulatory requirements in the UK, but wildflower turf helps with that. Now, can you just run us through the technical side of that? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I'll try and keep it sort of simple. And I've got a sort of a few uh, notes to think about because there are lots and lots of um, initiatives that have been out there uh, over the last few years. I suppose a really big opportunity for us was the 2012 Olympics. And if you look at some of their overriding uh, objectives of that, it was about developing uh, a legacy, long-term legacy, and it was about sustainable. It was the sustainable games. And so that was also a real driver towards a lot of these uh, regulations and in the in the olympics they took sort of had code for sustainable homes and briam and things like that a lot of these have been superseded now but underpinning all of them are some big policy decisions made by the government the nea would be one national ecosystems assessment and this is looking at ecosystem services giving value but also looking at some of the real issues like biodiversity loss uh, climate change carbon sequestering and wildflowers can have a part to play in all of those, along with many other things. And as you come into more recent history and look at some of the new initiatives, one of the really big ones is biodiversity net gain. That's, that's going to really have a big impact on people's lives because, uh, you know, the whole planning regime is going to be geared around introducing biodiversity with any new development and uh, making sure that's accountable and mandated over a number of years. You know, they're talking 30 years. So the opportunity to value engineer and sort of um, pay lip service isn't really going to be there if this initiative really kicks in. It certainly sounds like we're ticking a lot of boxes here. And there's another one, health and well-being benefits. Where does wildflower turf lie lie with that area? 
you know, COVID showed a lot of this because there became a real sort of issue around mindfulness and, and health and well-being of being stuck indoors. You know, a lot of evidence out there from doctors now saying that this isn't just a sort of um, fallacy or even a fad. It's, it's a fact that if people can get time outside walking and in green space, they are going to feel better and have less time sick as a result. Biodynamic design is, a, is an issue that's out there. Again, we've done a webinar on this where it's a little more sort of artistic, if you like, but just connecting people with nature. That's the idea behind it, designing in uh, nature into um, the plans and projects that are going forward to just reconnect and have this uh, ecosystem service value. And then much more sort of practical and nitty gritty you can look at things like pollution mitigation from a health point of view. And we've done work with Portsmouth University looking at uh, air pollution. And again, this idea of having a, a verge that's wildflowers, but with a hedge behind it. And these are at the point of emissions of those exhausts. Uh, there's a physical net to catch and pull down into the soil some of those particulates rather than allow them into people's lungs. So I hope that sort of answers that to an extent. Oh, brilliant. Now, we've talked a little bit about wildflowers and suds, but is there other ways that wildflowers can help with combating climate change? The carbon sequestration thing is something we're working quite hard on, but there's, there's studies out there already that uh, have identified um, a species-rich habitat with uh, and perennial plants and deep-rooting plants with how... Uh, you can, you know, take out carbon from the atmosphere and get them down into the soil. And there's a lot of very technical work out there, but it is it is being done and it does contribute. And so uh, we have looked at that. We would like to come up with a, a sort of species that we know that we can actually pin on being better at that than other species and look at mixes and things for that. Um, but it's already been done on desktop studies and there's quite a lot of work in America that's been done on this type of thing. So I think that's an aspect, again, quite nitty gritty and physical. But if you accept that, then where can wildflowers be used and how can they contribute towards that? And there's so many opportunities, I think I mentioned earlier, but green roofs are such, to me, they're such a good opportunity that are seriously underutilised um, Sedum has had a real part to play in green roofs and that's a, for lots of very good reasons. It's a truly drought tolerant plant and probably wildflowers are less so. They, they are drought tolerant, but not as tolerant as sedum. However, look at the biodiversity opportunity they give and look at the carbon sequestering opportunity they give and all the other things I've talked about, but put them on a roof. You're doing a development. Uh, you're going to be limited with how much biodiversity you can introduce and you're going to have the biodiversity net gain criteria to follow. You know, put wildflowers on a roof and that will answer a number of those requirements. No, no, indeed they do. And what about um, the criticisms of wildflowers? We talked earlier on about seasonal bedding plants and, you know, in a row they look very neat and ordered and provide lots of colour, lots of bright bling. Aren't wildflowers just a bit wild and messy and, and lacking in colour? I guess that is the criticism, isn't it? Well, 
I'm afraid, uh, to me, there are, there are no criticisms with wildflowers. They are the answer. They tick so many boxes. Um, but I suppose it comes back to what we've said. It's about, a lot about that is about managing expectations. So understand what you're buying into. And, you know, give nature an opportunity. Yes, you could look, if you're comparing it to a mown lawn or um, bedding plants, you could look at that and say wildflowers have, uh, you know, are wild. I mean, the clue's in the name, first of all. But yes, they have seasons and uh, they grow through periods of senescence. And um, they're relatively, you know, UK native wildflowers are relatively subtle in their colours. They're not bling. They're not flowering for 12 months of the year, of course. But in this country, we need to open our mind to a little bit of wildness and a little bit of scruffiness. But is that so bad? And that's where it comes back to how you design it anyway, because if you design it to make it look like it's supposed to be there, it's obviously there because you've got paths running through it, you've got margins, you might have it surrounding a a particularly nice tree or a statue or something like that. So that down to a nitty gritty gardening level, it becomes very important. So the wild look's been talked about a lot at the moment and another big issue that's been talked about a lot at the moment is peat. So what is wildflower turf doing to reduce the use of peat? So the system we use, and I said it at the start, is just the way we do this is we, we've developed a growing medium and into that we're sowing the wildflower seeds and then creating this turf. So um, within the growing medium, historically, we've used peat and at the moment we still have a little bit in it but we have been we have a sort of target to reduce that and we have other products where we have taken the peat out uh, relatively recently so we're pretty confident we can do this with the peat that we use in the turf itself quite quickly so uh, that's an exciting development um, we use quite a lot of uh, composted green waste in the system. Again, we've been quite lucky because our system allows us to use that. I know as a as a product for uh, a lot of horticulture uses, it's it's quite limited how much you can include in a in a uh, compost. But just our system allows us to use a bit more than the sort of norm with that. So we've been working hard on that and then looking at some alternatives. So from the turf point of view, we think we'll get there relatively soon. Um, and uh, that really is what we're committed to. No, indeed. Inciting times for the future. Now, lastly, James, I want to ask you about future uses for wildflowers. Um, green roofs we've talked about, public parks, obviously, in gardens. But where else can we use wildflowers? Where, where are they going to be used more in the future, do you think? There are you know, plenty of options. Anything that's currently green could be wildflowers and, and a, a big one is obviously lawns and um, lawns have a fantastic, obviously have a great part to play and there's all sorts of reasons for having a lawn uh, and having stripes and being able to play football and things. But actually there are all sorts of areas that are mown because they give this tidy appearance and uh, there are opportunities for wildflowers there. So the obvious ones are verges, road verges, uh, council verges in any urban area is an absolute obvious spot because they can do all the things I've said earlier. They don't need that regular mowing and, um, they, you know, they're going to save a bit of money there in that respect. And, and likewise, roundabouts. Um, the other really big area, farmland, you know, farmland could really 
improve biodiversity levels just on scale, just on the scale alone. So if you can have strips of wildflowers in farmland, you get this great connectivity and, and wildlife corridors, but you're also getting this fantastic sort of insect um, resilience for the crops. So the insects are coming out of the wildflower areas and going and eating the slug, slugs and aphids and living in the wildflowers, but doing a great service to the crops. I like the phrase I saw of yours about establishing wildflower areas as a charitable donation to wildlife, the environment and ourselves. Now, I just want to end up with our usual Horticulture Week question of if you were stuck on a desert island, is there any particular plant that you would take with you? What plant would you take to a desert island? You kindly warned me of this earlier <laughs> and uh, I've been thinking about it as I've been speaking and I can tell you when I first thought about wildflowers in this lawn system that my father developed, the first thing I did was basically a square metre and uh, of this principle sowing wildflowers and, and I found a corner of our yard where I just put this relatively horrible looking bit of wildflower, one metre of turf that we kind of developed and I put it in this corner out of the way everything we shouldn't have done which I've been telling you about but I just put it there it came back in the spring and there was this meter of amazing flowers that was vibrant and it was full of life and it was full of color and it was lovely and within that patch of flowers one of the really prevalent flowers was ragged robin and it is a lovely little subtle scruffy looking little um, plant but it is a joy and so that would be the one I would have on the island Great. The joy of Ragged Robin. What a great choice. So I've been with Wildflower Turf founder James Hewitson-Brown and I'm Matthew Appleby and this is the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And once again, thank you and goodbye until next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.